Today we're continuing on and finishing up this series of prayers for life by living into the future. And we're going to look at probably the most famous prayer in the Bible, one that gets said every Sunday by many, by communities over the last 2,000 years, and that is the Lord's Prayer. And the Lord's Prayer, sometimes we can be saying it out of just pure rote memorization. I know when I was a kid, my grandmother was like, you are going to learn this. Now, granted, it was the King James Version, but I did. There's something about learning it and saying it over and over again. And what's interesting is that this prayer, which can be found in the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, is something so powerful and yet so simple that Jesus is trying to teach us. And it should give us a moment of pause as a prayer that can not only sit with us in this moment, but moves us into the future just as it has for generations, for millenniums. And so this prayer that we're going to look at is one where we may notice that it ends not where we end on a Sunday morning, not where we're going to end at the end of this service, towards the end of the service. And that ending gets put on by the early Christians as an affirmation of what gets said. But as we're going through, as we break down this prayer, we're also going to pair it with other pieces of scripture where Jesus is really doing the action that he is teaching them to pray. And so we're wrapping this all together of understanding our words, our conversations with God and our actions and, and how that all seems to be coming together in this moment. How it seems to give us life, how it can change and give us direction, how it can challenge us in our everyday, how it can encourage us and build us up and give us hope for the future. So beginning in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 6. When you pray, don't be like hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that people will see them. I assure you, that's the only reward they'll get. But when you pray, go to your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is present in that secret place. Your father who sees what you do in secret will reward you. Matthew 26, verses 36 through 37. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. When he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, he began to feel sad and anxious. So the beginning, before we actually get into pray this, Jesus is setting them up of, okay, when we're about to pray, I need you to think about something. I need to, you to think about why are you praying this? Are you praying when you pray? Don't be like the hypocrites. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. Why are we talking to God? Why are we going to have this conversation with God? How does this moment begin to challenge us? And then the other thing that he's doing is he's, he's trying to get them to go beyond why are you praying into how are you praying? How are you beginning to connect with God? And we may think this sounds a little odd, especially for our modern ears, because it's like, 
I don't really have an issue with this. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners so that the people will see them. Like, no, no, really, I'm okay with doing that by myself. I don't need to stand out on the street corner yelling it, carrying on. Really, I don't. And so for us, how do we understand that piece? Because it, it's easy to go, oh, we got that taken care of. I don't mind. I can be quiet about this. I can go into the secret place. I can, I can close the door. I don't want anybody to know I'm doing this. And what Jesus is trying to get at, not only why are you doing this, but what's distracting you? What keeps you from praying, from conversing, from really focusing upon God? And that, now distractions, we live in a distracted world. Everything is around us, ready to distract us, ready to grab our attention, whether that is social media, technology, uh, maybe at this moment you're like, ooh, I've got so many other things to do besides sit here and listen to this, right? We've got all kinds of distractions. I know I have a hard time even watching a 30-minute television program without being on my phone, without my computer, right? Everything is distract us. How much work we have to do, what schoolwork we haven't finished, what do we got to do next, who doesn't like me, what issue do I have? Distractions are everywhere. And so Jesus is like, okay, take a minute. Not only why are we praying, why are we taking this time to converse with God, but are there things in our life that distract us that are like, nope, you're way too busy to talk to God. You're way too busy to have this conversation. Nope, there's other things that you value and prioritize. And so it's this moment, this moment of going, what distracts us? What do we need to begin to set aside? And sometimes, as we move through it, sometimes people have said, okay, Jesus, is this prayer thing all about the individual? It's about being quiet? No, it's about what distracts us because there is this community element to prayer, and we see that when Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, right? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. He said to the disciples, stay here while I go and pray over there. When he took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, which are James and John, he began to feel sad and anxious. So even Jesus, right? Jesus is making this a community. Yes, there's an element of individual, but there's also this act of community that even in this moment, Jesus needs everyone together. When we are praying the Lord's Prayer in worship together, it's this recognition. Yes, we are individuals, but we are also a community. We are also praying together because sometimes we feel sad and anxious and we need everyone around us in prayer with us. So this sense of understanding why, understanding what may distract us to keep us from doing it, and understand how this is not just an isolated thing for us to do, but is instead, it invites others in. It invites others in in what we say and how we act. Continuing on in Matthew 6, verses 7 through 8. When you pray, don't pour out a flood of empty words, as the Gentiles do. They think that by saying many words, they'll be heard. Don't be like them, because your Father knows what you need before you ask. Luke 6, 12 through 13. During that time, Jesus went out to the mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night long. 
At daybreak, he called together his disciples. He chose 12 of them whom he called apostles. So right here, okay, so Jesus is getting us prepared mentally. And then he's like, okay, what are you saying? And the thing is, God knows what we're going to say before we say it. So what are we saying? Not for God, but for us, that we understand that our words have meaning, our words have impact. And we, we do know this. We know this today, especially in our world, where there are words and information coming at us from all different directions. They are flying at us at such a high rate, and sometimes they are utterly meaningless. And yet we know that words have power. We know that words can be destructive. They can cause pain. They can build up and encourage, and they can tear down and divide. Words have extraordinary power. And so to be able to know, be like, no, we are going to focus. And that when we focus, when we understand and carry the meaning of our words, when we are like, okay, not distracted, I'm going to make some space, I really want to have this conversation with God, I'm not just doing it because I think I'm supposed to do it, but because I want this deeper connection, I need some guidance in my life, that when we set aside that time for conversation with God, when we are focused upon our words, extraordinary things happen. And we see it in the Luke 6 passage where Jesus goes up the mountain to pray, he goes up the mountain to pray, and he's going to pray all night long. And all night long, without distraction, in the middle of the night, I don't know if you've ever sat in a dark room. I know when the power has gone out, and I have a watch that isn't <laughs> digital, but I can look down at my watch and be like, how many hours have passed because there, I, it's dark, I can't read in the dark. I can't watch TV. I can't listen to music, right? Because all the electricity's off. 20 minutes feels like an eternity. And so Jesus takes all night to go and focus and pray and converse with God. And when he comes down the mountain, when he comes down, it has changed his day, or it has given him strength for what he is going to do. It changes his relationships. He is able, after conversing with God, he is able to come down and be like, okay, I am calling this group of guys together. Maybe he knows them. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he knows them well. Maybe he's kind of heard their names around. But he is able to call people together. He's able to gather others around him. He is able to gather the apostles together and be like, I've got this new thing. We are going to engage the world in a completely new way. We are bringing God's presence right here, right now to the people. And so to think about the power of focusing our prayers, focusing our conversations with God, and that they can literally change our day. It can literally change the way we are going forward and impact the way that we even engage in our relationships, how it begins to impact how we are communicating with others when we take time and focus, when we understand our meaning of what we are saying to God, because it's not, well, I need to make sure I say everything right. No, God already knows what you need to say. 
It's about making ourselves focus, moving aside those distractions and taking this time if we are going to move forward in our day, if we are going to go into our future. Continuing on in Matthew 6, 9 through 10, and here's where we get the start of the prayer. Pray like this. Our Father who is in heaven, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. Matthew 9, verses 35 through 36. Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, announcing the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and every sickness. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were troubled and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. All right, so Jesus starts off this prayer with our Father, and we may be like, okay, why is that chosen? It was a common Jewish practice of the time to begin a prayer in that way, but it also situates who God is to us. So we can think of, I don't want us to get just totally caught up on the word Father because God is described in many different ways throughout Scripture, but Father here, it's supposed to be caretaker, creator, guide, and in a patriarchal society, most certainly in charge. And so we get this sense of who we are in relationship to God. So praying, who are we in this relationship? Who is God to us? And then Jesus moves us to where is God in our lives? How is God working? When it says, who is in heaven? Heaven just meaning the sky all around, like this vastness, this talking about God in the sense of how big God is. It's, God is bigger than any one thing. And so to think about it in terms of vastness, but then Jesus immediately turns it back to how God is here with us or how we are praying for God to be here with us. Uphold the holiness of your name, that sense of we recognize how amazing or we're trying to recognize, be in awe of who you are to us. Bring in your kingdom so that your will is done on earth as it's done in heaven. This word kingdom often throws us, especially those of us in this society that we live in, uh, most of us, right, if you live in the United States, you understand you have this sense of democracy. We don't have a king. We got rid of that a long time ago. And so this sense of kingdom, but what the word kingdom is supposed to be able to project of help us to understand in the ancient world or even in many other places where there is a king, it is the king's will. You live according to the king's will. The king's will kind of dictates how your day goes. And we've talked before about how control is not love. Love is not control. And so God gives us this free will to act and be to choose. And so here what we're asking for is God's will to come in. God's will to be our will. God's will to be able to lead us and guide us in everything we do. That it isn't just about the vastness outside, but it is down right here in the middle of it all, in the middle of our day of God's will. And to really think about that of asking for God's will to lead us 
and guide us. And we may be going, okay, so what exactly is God's will? Because people kind of throw that around. Well, when we look at Matthew 9, right, 35 through 36, Jesus traveled among all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, teaching, announcing the good news of the kingdom, announcing the good news of God's will, healing every disease, every sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion and he helped them. Jesus is the real presence of God. And so if we're like, so what is God's will? What are we meaning by that? We begin to look at how Jesus lived, how Jesus taught, how Jesus healed and helped, how he fed, how he encouraged, how he was right there amongst the people. And so if we're wondering, what are we asking for with God's will? We look to the real presence of God, God with us in Jesus. And say, okay, what does it mean for God to be with us? Well, here's the life of Jesus. Here is the life, death, and most importantly, the resurrection that love cannot die. That Jesus is with us, carrying us, taking us, and showing us what it means to live God's will. Doesn't mean we fully realized it. It's like this sense of the seeds have been planted, but it's not yet come to fruition. It's, it's almost here, but not quite yet. And so how might we participate in that? How might we notice it? How might we be called to be part of? And to think about that, of being led by God's will, that we are praying for this every week for generations, for millenniums. We may not have always realized it. We may only be getting a glimpse of it, but we are praying not for just today, but for the future. Continuing on in Matthew 6, verse 11. Give us the bread we need for today. Short verse. Luke 12, 32 through 34. Don't be afraid, little flock, because your father delights in giving you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to those in need. Make for yourselves wallets that don't wear out, a treasure in heaven that never runs out. No thief comes near there and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be too. So we move in this prayer. We move for God's will to be done, but now... Give us the bread we need for today. Give us the sustenance. Give us the guidance. Give us the things that we need to live into your will, O oh God, to be connected, to get deeper into this prayer, to understand what it means to live with one another. There are things that we need. And when we then move to Luke 12, we need things that aren't destroyed that no one can take away. We need things like fortitude and strength. We need courage and love. We need to know that we are worthy. We need to know that our identity is in a God of love. We need forgiveness. We need grace. And all of those things we are praying for God to give us so that we can live into God's will so that we can live into a changed life, so that we can live into new possibilities, so that we can live into a future where the impossible becomes possible. 
like we talked about last week. Here, we are praying for the needs that no one can take away, that no one can destroy, that build us up and give us the ability to go forward. And so what are those things that we need from God? Is it courage? Is it worth? Is it to know that our identity begins with love? Is it peace? Is it joy? Is it hope? What are the things that we need today to go forward with? Continuing on, finishing up with Matthew 6, 12 through 15. Forgive us for the ways we have wronged you, just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. So that's the end of the prayer. And then a verse beyond. If you forgive others their sins, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your sins. Luke 7, verses 44 through 48. Jesus turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? When I entered your home, you didn't give me water for my feet, but she wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. This is why I tell you that her many sins have been forgiven. So she has shown great love. The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So a couple things are happening here, especially as the prayer wraps up, which is why I kept a couple verses beyond and then picked Luke 7 to kind of give this sense of, okay, what are we talking about with this forgiveness and don't lead us into temptation, but to rescue us from the evil one. We all need forgiveness. All of us need forgiveness. Whether it's we need forgiveness for ourselves, we need to forgive for something that we've done or not done, all of us need to be able to forgive something and to let go. And we've talked before that there are even situations that are so severe, that are so dire, that sometimes we go, hmm, I don't know about that. I don't know if I can forgive that. And so we give it over to God to deal with. We give it over to God to decide whether or not to forgive. And what we find throughout scripture is, right, God keeps forgiving and forgiving and forgiving and calling us to something new. And so this sense of we are praying, forgive us for the ways we have wronged you just as we also forgive those who have wronged us. That sense of understanding that when we understand that we ourselves need forgiveness, that it begins to be shared out to others. Kind of like Jesus was saying about love. When you know you have love, you can love. And so to kind of wrestle with that, where in our lives are we in need of forgiveness, not only of receiving it, but also giving it, of letting go so that we can move forward, or giving it over to God so it is not our burden. And then to finish the prayer, and don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. 
So often people look at that verse and go, see, see, God does test us. But what we're having here is, and don't lead us into temptation, is saying, hey, God, I can get in some crazy predicaments in my life, and I need you to help lead me out. I need you to help lead me away from those things that I so often like to choose. I need some help. I need to be led away from. I need to be led away from fill in the blank. I need to be led away from feeling unworthy. I need to be led away from holding on to that anger. I need to be led away from those things that are destructive to our lives. And don't lead us into temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The evil one that whispers, you are not enough. The evil one that whispers, that says, you are only what your accomplishments are. That evil one who says, you are too busy for. That evil one that says, there can never be peace. We're way too divided. Don't fall for that. The evil one who says, hope, hope, that's just magical thinking. What are you doing? What are you thinking? You can't have hope. Here, Jesus is giving us a sense that we are praying to God to be led away from those things that will destroy our lives, that are so unhealthy that we need to let go of and we need to walk in the other direction from. And so here, it begins to make us think, what are we praying for when we say and lead us away from? Those things that are destructive. Those things that call to us. You know what? If you just have enough money and you just have enough safety, all will be fine. What are the things that we try to be, you know, if you just work more, if you just work more, you'll feel better about yourself. If you'll just buy, it'll all be fine. You know what? If you'll just spend your time doing this, you'll be somebody. Right? What are those things that are destructive, that whisper to us? Because Jesus is like, hold up there. And we see it when he speaks to Simon. He's like, hold up, Simon, you self-righteous, judgmental, unloving, uncaring guy. Hold up one second. I'm going to be real with you, dude. Like... You hear those whispers, you hear those whispers that are destructive, that says you got enough love, you're comfortable enough, you're fine, you got it all together. And those whispers are leading you down a path that has led you to the point. Simon has now been led to the point by those whispers. He has been led to the point that he is able to utterly dismiss love and completely dismiss the real presence of God that is right in front of him. And Jesus is like, hey, wait a minute. Hold up. You are able to dismiss the real presence of God because you're too busy and distracted by because you're listening to the whispers over here. And so Jesus is like, here's what we pray. Because it's going to be a struggle. 
It is a struggle. It's a struggle every day. And we're going to try. And sometimes we're going to be like, oh, I can't believe I pulled it off. And then other times it's going to be like, oh, fail. Because that's life. And so what we are praying for is God's help here, of God's guidance to be led away from those whispers that are so destructive, those voices that can take us down a path where we think, well, I don't have to be kind. I don't have to be loving. And Jesus keeps pointing to this woman, and he says... The one who is forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Because she loved, because she knew she needed that forgiveness. Simon's like, I got it all together. I don't need any of that. And Jesus is like, no, you are listening to the wrong voice. You have just dismissed God. And so for ourselves, as we are thinking about this prayer, as we're trying to think about how we experience this prayer, as sometimes we so easily, right, especially if we're used to saying it every week, right, we say it over and over again, and we kind of dismiss, we kind of get unfocused about it, it just kind of is, it rolls off the tongue, and Jesus is like, wait a minute, back up here, take a moment. Because this prayer is challenging us. This prayer is challenging us into new realms in our life of how to move forward, of how to let go, of how to focus ourselves upon the real presence of God in Christ, of how to focus ourselves upon God's will, of how to refocus our lives in such a way that we get to go, hold up to those destructive whispers. You can just take it somewhere else, take it to somebody else because it's not for me. And so this moment, this prayer, this prayer holds so much power. And so will we allow that power to go through us, to connect us to God, to connect us to the life of Jesus that brings us into new realizations, new places that helps us live into the future? How will we allow the Lord's Prayer to impact us? How will we experience the Lord's Prayer going forward? Amen. 